Hello, I'm Ian in London, and you're listening to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast. Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glyn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome to He Shoots, He Draws with me, Glyn Dewis, and usually my best mate, Dave Clayton, but I'm actually flying solo this time. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with a great guy who goes by the social media name of Ian in London. Now, I'd originally became aware of Ian through YouTube, going back maybe 18 months-ish or so ago, uh, because it was around that time I got myself a DJI Mavic Pro drone and wanted to learn as much as I could about using it. And well, as with most things these days, you either go to Google, YouTube, and such like the kind of places. Now, the video where I first learned of Ian was where he was being very open and honest when he talked about losing his newest drone after having it for just two weeks when he was flying it over the white cliffs of Dover. And we do mention about this during the chat, but it's a great video where Ian is completely open and honest about what went wrong. And it was this honesty in his videos that I found invaluable. Now, a self-confessed hobbyist, Ian has developed a fast-grow YouTube channel where he covers all aspects of using drones, be it tips and tricks for best practice, for best successful flights, capturing stunning uh, stunning videos and still images, do's and don'ts, travelling with drones, qualifications, and all that kind of stuff and more. Now, if you have a drone, you're thinking of getting a drone, or you're simply curious about drones, I guarantee you're going to get a lot from what Ian shares in this episode. One bit I was totally fascinated by was when he talks about the qualifications now needed to fly drones either commercially or just for having fun. Ian's a great guy with a great attitude, a willingness to share, and a true testament to how being consistent can certainly lead to bigger things. Definitely, definitely give him a follow. Right, that's enough of me, so let's introduce you to Ian, and I'll do that in my usual way of, Ian, who are you? Hello, well, my name is Ian, and um, I fly drones for fun. But uh, to be honest, I, uh, I'm just a city worker. I work in the, uh, in the financial district in London. Um, moved out to Essex, rural Essex probably about uh, 15 years ago when I uh, got bored of taking the dogs down Epping Forest every day. Uh, but I still uh, commute into London every day, and uh, hence I decided to start up a bit of a website and blog called Ian in London. Uh, but it took a bit of a sideways turn after one unfortunate incident with my drone, and <laughs> we'll uh, talk about that. and after that, I kind of specialised into one main area of uh, of hobby, and uh, and that's how I've uh, I've become Ian in London that uh, some of you may have heard of. Cool. All right. So on that topic then, because uh, Dave, obviously, who's the other guy that I do this podcast with, he said to me, right, I'm going to get all the graphics ready for this episode. What's his surname? And I said, I don't think it's in London. No. I don't think that is his surname. No, but uh, <laughs> I'm one of these online presences that uh, ne- never divulges the surname. I'm just Ian in London. Okay. Simple as that. So we will go with Ian in London. Yeah, sure. I like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So, okay, Ian. Yeah. Um, we've obviously, we've never kind of chatted like we are now. It's always been kind of like on the old typing thing on social media. And yeah. it's, I, we were chatting before we started recording how I first became aware of you. And I think what it was, was I got myself a drone, as did quite a few people, if we say maybe a year and a half-ish ago, yep. maybe maybe two years, I don't know, something like that. And I was surfing around, looking on the internet, thinking, right, how the hell do I use this and what do I need to do? And I just happened to stumble across a video that you'd posted up. And I think I'm probably right in saying it's probably one of your first videos that you did, maybe. It was the first um, video. 
And I kind of said to you that I remember when I first got to know about you and straight away you guessed, oh, that'll be when I kind of lost my drone on the White Cliffs of Dover. So that seems like it's a regular thing how people have found you then. It, it is, sadly. Uh, I mean, when I made that, okay, uh, I can go back a little bit more. I had a super cheap little uh, non-GPS drone which drove me bananas. And then um, I got my uh, Phantom 3. Uh, after seeing some uh, pictures on the B- on a BBC news story of some chappy in Eastern Europe who was taking these amazing photos, and he had the Phantom 2. And I was like, okay, there's more to these drones than just rubbish cameras and no stabilisation. So I got myself a Phantom 3, and I flew that for 18 months without ever crashing it once. I was that careful, started off really uh, as you should. And then the Mavic Pro got uh, released. So my Phantom 3, which was, I don't know, about £350, and suddenly the Mavic Pro is released, this folding, beautiful drone that's going to slip into your pocket instead of taking up a giant suitcase. And I thought, wow, over a grand, can I actually trust myself with uh, with that? <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, I've been flying 18 months, never had an incident, so yeah, I can trust myself for two weeks. And that was it. Went, um, I went down to, I was actually going, where was I going? I was going over the, uh, over the channel and it was on the way back. Uh, we'd come off uh, the ferry and uh, f- just uh, driving up, um, I saw the Battle of Britain Memorial and I thought, you know what? I would get some amazing footage of the propellers in the uh, grass uh, memorial that uh, they've got there. It only just opened about uh, within the last year. And uh, the, the, the trouble is, you know, you can think too much about these things. And I'd read online when I'd actually, when I was starting to get into difficulty, suddenly all these things were popping into my head. Don't go into sports mode. Stay low so the wind doesn't blow it away. And basically, I did about six or seven things that were completely wrong that ended up with me uh, losing the drone. And to be honest, if it was like a, a perfect set of uh, dominoes, each one knocking the next one over. Uh, and at any time, it, it should have broken the link, but it was all lined up in the wrong way for me that day. And uh, yeah, uh, I lost it. Uh, went back the following day and um, couldn't find it after five hours of searching through the undergrowth. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I feel so unlucky and I've made so many stupid mistakes here. I was quite... Uh, uh, chatty on the old DJI forum and I thought I'm going to make a little tutorial video to basically show what you shouldn't do with your brand new Mavic Pro. Okay. And uh, so I made this little video, first ever video I'd made for YouTube, popped it up and uh, put a link to it on the DJI forum. And um, yeah, that was that. I started off with zero subscribers and I couldn't understand why so many people were watching it and people started subscribing. And I'm like, well, what are they subscribing for? Does that mean they want me do, to Do you make- know why, you know, why, why do you say that? You don't know why people are subscribing. I think, it, I think it's a combination of things. Number one, you know, if we're honest, we're all like, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a bit of that going on. He's lost his drone. Yeah. But that wasn't the thing with me. With me, it was more a case of, oh, flipping hell. That's something I've got to be careful of. And it was, it was your honesty. Because for somebody to post up, I've just lost this drone that's worth over a grand. Oh, my God, look what I've done. And you were so honest about what you should and shouldn't have done and sports mode, being too far away, battery, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, the wind. I really felt for you while I was watching it. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, oh, no. But I'm so glad you put that video up because the minute you did that, I subscribe and here we are later on, you know? I mean, 
you're you're right. Uh, it actually, as I said, in retrospect, now um, it did me a huge favour because yeah. you see dozens and dozens of, uh, and you must see dozens of videos, uh, you know, every other day of amazing drone videos. People have got their own messages and stories to tell. And you look and you think, well, why has this only got like 100 views or 150 views when, you know, this is one of the loveliest videos I've seen put together. But I mean, you know, YouTube is a strange place, isn't it? Uh, you know, some oh, yeah. dog with a bucket stuck in his head gets 5 million views. <laughs> and, um, you know, you could uh, spend uh, hours and hours recording a tutorial and yeah. spend, you know, 20, 30, 40 hours editing just to end up with a five minute video and it goes nowhere. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, in that respect, I think uh, that poor lost drone um, actually did me a big favour because every man and his dog seems to have uh, heard about that story. Although it wasn't planned, it was a perfect beginning. It really was. But I think just for just the benefit of people listening, obviously you, you started off when I said, you know, Ian, who are you? You've said that this droning kind of thing is, is a hobby. Okay, because obviously you work within the financial district within London. However, and I'm not going to go into details because I know that you're under non-disclosure. Despite it being a hobby, your consistency with what you're doing and putting yourself out there has led to something rather big. But obviously we won't talk about that. And it's it's you're involved in something which is certainly more than just a hobby thing. That's fair to say, right? Well, yeah, no, really. I mean, I have... Uh, I- I have been asked to try and provide some footage of a particular scene and setup that um, surprised me. And uh, yeah, I'm still shooting it. And, uh, you know, when it pops out, then great. People will be going, okay, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. And that, that's, I mean, I, I wanted to get you on this podcast anyway. But when you then mentioned that to me when we were kind of chatting about putting a date in for this, even more so, that said to me, God, we have so got to get you on it. Because if anything, it just shows consistency. And you just never know no. what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. You, you, you don't. But I mean, I wasn't expecting to be asked to um, go down to the BBC uh, and uh, talk for half an hour on drones there either. And suddenly, <laughs> out of nowhere, that that popped up. And I thought, well, wow, what am I going to say for half an hour? And um, in the end, they kind of had to wrap it up because I had so much to say. But, <laughs> uh, but that was quite handy because, you know, um, that happened just a couple of months after Gatwick. And uh, I, I had a few points I wanted to make on that and, you know, put uh, our side of uh, the story across. And, um, yeah, that was quite uh, quite interesting, as I said, you know, talking on the BBC. And then, you know, whilst I was away on my uh, trip in the USA just the other month, I had some reporter from The Times, uh, as in The Times, um, who was doing a piece on um, flying drones over English Heritage and National Trust properties and the war on drones that they were trying to undertake. And I had plenty to say on that because uh, I, I mean, I'm a member of English Heritage myself and I love it and I love what they do and I love what they stand for, but I fundamentally disagree with the approach they're taking to drones. So I ended up being quoted in this uh, quite big story in, on the uh, Times as well. And I was like, okay, well, that's good. I managed to get my point across there as well. Um, but uh, yeah, you never know where these sorts of things take you, do you? Obviously, we, we all know that the drones have, I think they've had their fair share of bad press because of some idiots out there that, you know, haven't done anybody any favours. Yeah. And we'll kind of talk about that. But let's just kind of rewind just a little bit when it comes to the drone side of things. Why, why did you even go down the drone route? What made you get your first drone? Oh, simple. I just love the perspective in the photos. And, you know, that's quite a fundamental thing to keep in mind there. 
because you actually seem to have two types of drone flyer. You have the person who's been flying model aircraft for years and has progressed onto the drone. And you have these uh, young upstarts like me and uh, you know all the others who literally nip down to carries or go onto the website and order uh, the, these uh, amazing bits of technology and then start uh, chucking them up in the air, wondering why they crash or you know what, why they lose them or why they hit something expensive. I got into uh, drones solely for the photography and the video that they shot. And the moment I actually got my first proper uh, GPS enabled drone that actually allowed you to uh, fly it in a very steady manner and take high definition uh, photos and videos, I was absolutely hooked. And uh, that, that is fundamentally why I still do uh, all the drone work that I do. You'll see that the majority of my videos are about how to take good photos and good video. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To do that, you've got to not crash. So there is a little bit of uh, <laughs> flying uh, and, and the like. And sometimes there's a bit of testing as well. You know, I mean, I've done uh, high winds. High winds is a thing that uh, makes me tick. You know, how, how, how high can the wind, how strong can the wind be? And I still don't crash sort of thing. And, uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's all about the photos, all about uh, the actual uh, joy of flying doesn't actually come into it that much for me you know uh sure it's great fun to uh chuck the drone up but i will only put the drone up if there is something to take a photo of you will never see me just sitting in my garden flying the drone round and round for no reason unless i'm trying to practice something it's all it's all about the photos and videos that you produce so you've always had an interest in the photography and the video side of stuff anyway prior to the drones even being available yeah Absolutely. Always been, you know, traveling the world, taking photos. I can remember getting my first digital camera back in 1999, paying over a £1,000 for a one megapixel Fuji uh, digital camera. You never need more than that. That's all you need. That was it. They, they were saying this is the first <laughs> megapixel camera. It's going to last you forever. And the concept of looking at photos on a laptop was still completely, you know, unheard of. And yet, I, as soon as I saw the idea of digital photography, I was like, well, hang on a second. This is much better than film for what I want. And um, yeah, so for, for, from 1999, I've only been taking photos in a digital format. Uh, I still can't use Photoshop properly, um, but that's another story. <laughs> ah, piece of cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, that, that's basically me. I, uh, it's all about the photos, all about... Actually, I got into the video because of the drone. So so if you look at, you know, from when you first started, I know one thing I kind of did was because I, I got the drone um, and it's actually in the on the shelf, bottom shelf behind me where, where I'm sitting now. You won't see it because it's in a case and that case is now probably covered in dust because I haven't been using it for so... I know, I know. I haven't used it for so long and I'm kind of thinking, should I have it? So I'm hoping in a way you're going to try and convince me that I should keep hold of it what uh what have you got the mavic pro i've got the mavic pro and if i'm honest one of the reasons why it's kind of sat there because i thought this would be so good for me when i'm out doing shoots i can either send it up and it can be filming from above give a different perspective of pictures that can go into books and stuff like that but it was just the and i know the mavic is so convenient you know you can like you said earlier on you can like fold it down you can put it in your bag you don't have to take a separate bag for it is there a dedicated controller i can get that i don't have to keep using my phone if anybody knows, you'll know. Yes. There is. There's a dedicated controller, yep. Yeah. Uh, however, thinking about it, 
it won't control the Mavic Pro because it only connect, it only controls uh, drones that are OcuSync 2, which basically would be a Mavic uh, 2 Pro and the um, Phantom 4 Pro. All uh, oh, right, okay. Um, the other thing you can do though, Glenn, that's actually a lot cheaper and a lot simpler if you've got a spare old phone, are you an iPhone or Android boy? Uh, well, I was iPhone for many years. However, I've recently changed. I say recently, in the last year and a bit, and I'm now a Google phone okay. user, yep. so yep. I am Android. Uh, you, I mean, if you've still got an old iPhone uh, with an account, you don't actually need um, cell phone coverage. You just need Wi-Fi. You could basically have a dedicated phone that is your uh, your, your controller for your drone and um, you know I did that for a bit because sometimes yeah you do want to use your phone so uh, there's there's no issue I mean that's the beauty of uh, Android and iPhones you can have a you can have an app and you can choose to just use that phone for that one app and nothing else and not even as a phone uh, you don't need to keep a sim card in it or anything like that because uh, you can do your updates off Wi-Fi why didn't I know this why did well, I it's, think it's this? a case of not necessarily thinking of I mean you know I've got so much tech stacked up on my shelves and it's you're sometimes thinking well what can i do with that you know can i find a use for that or should i just flog it on ebay and uh, sometimes yeah you come up with an idea and you think oh, okay actually it could be a dedicated drone phone i think you've saved me some ebay fees there then so i might keep that yeah and i mean you know the, mavic, the, the difference between the mavic pro and the mavic 2 pro yeah you know there's a sensor size and for you being pro tog you're probably going to be after those extra pixels that the mavic 2 pro can give you it's a 90 20 megapixel camera uh, for for still shots but uh, fundamentally the mavic pro uh, the original Mavic Pro is still an absolutely magnificent Yeah, for behind-the-scenes video footage and stuff like that as well. It's fantastic, isn't it? Really, really good. Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I am gonna do that with my phone, yeah. my spare phone. Oh, I've got a drawer full of them there, and actually, I, I'd rather do that than sell them and yeah. then find I'm getting hacked. Yeah, because uh, somebody's downloaded what I had on the phone. <laughs> um, but if we, if we, right, I want to go. I want to take you back then to when you first got the drone. Let's go back to that video where I found you first of sure. all. All right, let's talk about that in a, in a roundabout kind of way. Looking, going back then to when you were pretty much in your early stages of when you were doing the droning, and then we look forward now to where you are, and you've got a really established YouTube channel. You're doing tutorials, giving people advice about how they can do this, that, and the other. What would you say are the biggest things that you have learned? If you were to list maybe a few things of, right, since day one, these are the things I really have learned that have enabled me to fly either safely or to just get better results with my drone? Um, to think about what you're gonna do before you do it, to be honest. And I know that might sound so obvious, but it's very, very easy when you first get the drone to think, oh, well, this is straightforward enough, isn't it? You know, you just fly it, you, you throw the stick left and it goes left, and you throw the stick right, it goes right, and you think, okay, I can fly. And then I'll, I wonder how high I can go. I know, let's go through that tree. And then when it's coming back to you and it's veering off towards the side and because it's coming back towards you, the controls are reversed, so you think you've got to go left and it goes right and hits the tree and suddenly falls. And you know, that that literally is it. It, it sounds so uh, painful and rubbish to say, you know, risk analysis and all of that. And I don't want to say that word, but I think what you actually have to do before you take off and have a flight is just a quick think, what could go wrong? Could it get blown off course? Could it get blown out to sea? Could it hit something? Could I run out of battery before I get back to myself? Um, 
is it going to be flying over anything that is dangerous? You know, I mean, is it going to be flying over roads? And if it was to hit something, would it actually fall down and injure somebody or, uh, you know, do some damage to some property? But um, yeah, just having a quick two minutes, assess the whole uh, setup. What is it you're actually trying to do? And think about what could go wrong. And, you know, that video I made over Dover, I actually did do this analysis after after the event. And, you know, you see on that video, I come up with about six or seven things that I fundamentally did wrong. I decided to go long distance after I'd been flying around for about 10 minutes. So I was actually only on 50% battery. 50% battery means you've only got 30% battery left because it all starts going into... Uh, uh, not shut down, but you know, it doesn't get happy when it goes below 20% battery. And I was flying out into uh, along with the wind. So suddenly when I was turning back to come to me, um, I was flying against the wind. And that is probably the single lesson that I still, you know, whenever I, I go out on any flight, what is the wind doing? And is it going to mess me up on my return? Am I, am I right in saying that fairly recently you've also got yourself a, a qualification to to fly drones is that right you did a course yes yeah i did see i did the pifco uh the uh, permission for commercial operations uh that was actually more to kind of prove to myself i YouTube's a strange beast. You'll 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 know this better than most. Um, occasionally, you, oh, we've talked you do about get, that many times, mate, on this channel. You do get idiots that pick a fight with you just because they've got nothing better to do. And a lot of time, I I, I don't have an issue with trolls or anything like that. And I know when to just uh, delete and remove a comment rather than get into a conversation. But one uh, one time that really uh, kind of got my goat up was when I did the flight around Stonehenge one evening and I had one guy who had done his PIFCO and um, I actually had two guys uh, come at me basically saying if you'd done your training you'd know this was an illegal flight and every single time I pointed out all the regulations that I had followed I said so please again tell me what part of this flight was illegal because I still can't see any CAA regs that I've broken and I can't, uh, can't see any drone regulations or the drone code, if you like, that, that I've uh, broken as well. And um, it, was, it wasn't very pleasant really. And uh, I thought, well, okay, I'm getting quite a big following on YouTube now and uh, I'm giving advice on the legalities of flying drones, uh, what you should and shouldn't do. Um, it would probably give myself a little bit more uh, credence if I actually uh, was a fully qualified uh, um, CAA-approved uh, drone pilot, if you like. I was also quite interested as to what was involved to get your permission for commercial operations. Yeah, I'm intrigued by what you've got to say about that, actually, yeah. Well, I made a video on the, on the PIFCO, and um, I, I don't hold back. Uh, utterly, utterly pointless, hopelessly overcomplicated, you know, why, quite why I needed to have uh, three hours of geography lessons. And I know you could say, well, yeah, but you lost a drone due to wind. Yes, I did. So all you need to be told is watch out for strong winds and check the direction of the wind. Not learn about catabatic uh, winds and low pressure systems from the Atlantic. Basically, the way the PIFCO course works and the PIFCO exam works is that uh, you can tell the CAA were like, oh, got to do something. I know. Let's take uh, gliders. 
what do we have to do for gliders? Let's take all of that and just basically repackage it as a, uh, a drone uh, licensing. And the majority of what you learn is far more relevant to glider pilots than it is for, uh, for drone pilots. And you have to ask yourself, Glenn, why is a flight for money suddenly more dangerous than a flight as a hobbyist? Because that is the fundamental difference here. If you get payment for a flight that you're making, you must be PIFCO qualified. But you can do exactly the same flight as a hobbyist and it's all okay and legal. There, there's no mm. justification for that whatsoever. And it actually, it, it, you know, you can go one stage further. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a discussion about flying inside a hangar. Somebody was saying, you know, I'm going to be doing some flying inside a hangar. And I said, well, there's no chance of you crashing into an aircraft here. So apart from health and safety, um, you know, you should go nuts. And other people were like, no, the CAA. CAA actually uh, qualified and clarified that single point uh, within the last year. And they've actually said, seeing as all of their rules and regulations are designed to avoid conflict with other air users inside a hangar, their restrictions don't apply. And you think, well, hang on a second. How many aircraft fly below the highest building level in a town, for instance? And the only reason I think of that is because I went to Iceland uh, earlier on this year and I checked up the rules and regs and in Reykjavik uh, their, their, their rule is quite simple you've got to fly lower than the highest building in that city makes perfect sense to me uh, but not with a CAA say that again you can fly in Reykjavik as long as you stay below the height of the highest building in the vicinity the drone you mean Correct. right the yes, drone yes right 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 okay cool so and, and you just think why are the CAA complicating and over-regulating things if you are flying a drone under 100 feet, then short of you hitting a very, very low flying helicopter, you're not gonna hit any other air user. So what business is it of theirs, fundamentally? But you can say the CAA are there to regulate all airspace, so that's fine. But it gets back to my original question, what makes money, or why does money, make a drone flight more dangerous? And that's their reasoning here. They're basically saying, when you're doing it for money, you've gotta be licensed. Do you know what's really interesting? The fact that you mentioned money. I've never given this a thought before. And you're right. What what does make why is it different to do that as a hobby? But then when you do it to be paid, you have to get licensed. Here's it is something to think. It's made me think of this. So obviously you've got a YouTube channel. Now you are Pifco, you know, you've done all that kind of stuff. But there are many people around the world who also have drones. And also I guess we'll talk because we're talking CAA, we'll talk about UK. But you've got lots of other people in the UK who've got drones, who've got YouTube channels. Now, if they get to a certain point and they put these videos up, they're getting views, they're getting YouTube payments, so they are being paid yep. for flying in those areas. So, where, you know, where do you draw the line? So, again, I looked into this because I was bored and had nothing better to do. The CAA, <laughs> the CAA specifically mention YouTube, and they actually say that um, social media uh, revenue does not count with regards to commercial operations on the basis that uh, quite often when you shoot a video, it's not necessarily for commercial purposes, but if you then subsequently get revenue on YouTube, that's okay. But that still doesn't cover people like me and you, who's got, who've got a monetized YouTube channel. When I'm making a tutorial, I'm, yes, doing it for the greater good, but clearly I'm also monetizing that mm. video. I know adverts are gonna be played around it. I know I will get 
a revenue of some sort. It may be pounds, it may be tens or, you know, a bit more. But the point is, I know I'm going to get money for making this video, so that makes it a commercial operation. Yet the CAA say, no, YouTube, even monetized channels, are not subject to the PIFCO regulation. Obviously, all this kind of stuff here has come, I don't know, is it in the last year, year and a half, something like that? It's all started to get come to a head, didn't it, when they started to say, right, if you're going to fly a drone, you have to have a permit or permissions. And then obviously there's the PIFCO thing and then all kinds of different regulations got thrown in. And I guess we all know the reason for that is it's because there were the people here who were, who were doing stuff which was clearly putting drones in a bad light. So they thought they've got to clamp down it somehow by making it, by regulate it. But they didn't. That's the point. All they've done, Glenn, is actually say they've grabbed one thing. They're like, right, if it's money, we're going to control that. But 99% of drone flyers in the UK or in the world are not doing it for money. So they didn't clamp down on anything. All they did was reiterate the drone code. So, I, you know, I, I, I do get frustrated, but I do know that there's, um, there is a review underway. And I believe uh, part, part of the review is going to actually take a look at the risk of the flight and take money out of the equation. So basically, um, I, you know, there's me, I paid my thousand pounds for the uh, PIFCO training and, uh, and then the 300 pounds to actually apply to the CAA to get my PIFCO license. And uh, if this review doesn't come in before February next year, I'll have to pay 200 pounds to renew my PIFCO license oh, for another God. year because obviously I've forgotten everything I learnt uh, on their fantastic trading course. Jeez, you can't, Beat British sarcasm, can you? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, seriously, the review uh, supposedly is going to start uh, forcing you to do an assessment of the type of flight you're doing. And if certain things are going to happen, if you're flying over a certain height or over a certain number of people, then it becomes this higher risk flight and you've got to do the training irrespective of uh, whether you're going to get money or not. But that's all up in the air at the moment. It could happen in the next six months. It could happen in two years. Who knows? I've got to say, one of the reasons I, although I said you know earlier on, one of the reasons I don't use my drone so much is, number one, it was because it was extra stuff to take along and it just got fiddly and having to put the controller in. But obviously you've explained a, a workaround I've got for that now, which is great. But also I was starting to find that, you know, Joe Public were becoming more and more drone aware and thinking they knew what you could and couldn't do. And I was approached a couple of times, and you also see people giving you the stare, thinking you shouldn't be doing this. And I hear of other people who are getting approached, and you can see them getting, you shouldn't be flying here, you shouldn't be flying there. Have you ever experienced any of that kind of stuff where people do step in where you're flying and, and kind of confront you about it? Uh, yeah, so uh, thankfully most of my um, encounters with people have been really positive. Um, I do, First, one of the best things you can always do, by the way, is always fly with a friend or a mate so that if somebody comes over and starts talking to you, uh, your friend can deflect them whilst you're concentrating and flying your very expensive uh, flying machine uh, and not get distracted. But uh, fundamentally, yeah, um, I find when you show people what you're doing, and by that I mean show, it, show the picture on the screen, a, they immediately realise, oh, you can't be snooping or spying because everybody is just a tiny dot. And secondly, they go, wow, what an amazing view. And when they can see the control, most people are just genuinely interested. However, of course, you do get the odd person that's going to 
pick a fight for the sake of picking a fight. Uh, I'm not talking about physical fight, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. they're going to they're going to quote. Now, the analogy I make is you know we're, we're on a on a street with shared parking. If somebody in a house tells you you cannot park outside my my house, what do you do? Do you get into an argument with them every day and risk having your car scratched or whatever, or do you actually just uh, let them know that they're completely wrong, but ultimately find another parking space? You know, I haven't actually had that happen to me. I haven't had somebody tell me to stop flying immediately and, uh, you know, move on. Probably because I tend to try and find somewhere a little bit quieter. I certainly don't fly in towns, don't fly in parks that often. And, uh, you know, people are not your friend when you're flying a drone, basically. Not Mm, necessarily from the fact that they're going to come over and pick a fight. But generally, you just don't want the distraction and for me, you also don't want them in your photo in the first place. You know, I, I don't want people in my pictures or video. I, I, I want the countryside and the like. But yeah. Um, I can teach you how to get rid of them in Photoshop, you know. <laughs> yeah, Stuart's good at that as well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he learned how to do that after getting bored up, <laughs> waiting for people to move out of the way of uh, some statue or something. But no, seriously, um, knowing what the rules are and being able to talk confidently to somebody um, is... 80% of the battle. So if you can turn around and go, well, actually, I am allowed to uh, fly here because I've taken off more than 30 metres away from anybody and I'm staying more than 50 metres away from people and structures. Uh, and they're the rules. So um, if, you, if you want to talk more, I can land and then we can discuss it. But ultimately, I'm not breaking any rules. So, you know, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Uh, and uh, and there we are. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying there. Even if you are right, they're there. It's it's changing the whole feeling about what you're doing. And yeah, I am right, but I'm going to just disappear and move on somewhere else. I totally get why you would do that. I really do. Are you flying your drone to have fun or get into arguments and discussions with people? Never the latter. So therefore, avoid them in the first place. That's the way I I, uh, I uh, see things. Do you remember when the, the, uh, the, the Dunkirk movie came out, the one that Chris Nolan uh, directed? It's going back about a year or so ago now. I absolutely loved the new Dunk- the Dunkirk movie. I really did. And after that movie came out, because I'm working on this World War II uh, project at the moment, we did a themed a, a Dunkirk themed. That's it. We did a, we did a themed photo shoot, and we actually went to Wales, and we filmed on a beach in Barry. And uh, we had the guy there and the authentic. It's actually my well, my Barry best Island. mates. Yeah, yeah. One of my best mates, uh, his son, Andrew, wore the clothing. But we also had a firearm, a decommissioned firearm as well. So we let the police know that we were going to be there and they were more than happy about it. But one thing that we did to kind of keep people away, because you know that if you've got a guy dressed in World War II clothing with a firearm and there's a drone, people are going to want to start to just gravitate towards you. So what I did, I went online and I purchased about four fluorescent tabards and everybody kept away because it looks official but i mean that's actually probably one of the best things you could have done uh the only other thing i would have uh, added there is you could actually gone one stage further and got the little uh orange tape or something and just put four traffic cones up as well and you'd have looked even more official then but it also actually identifies the people who are connected with what's going on, connected with the operation. So if anybody has got a, a question or a concern, they're not just aimlessly wandering up to you. They can actually uh, uh, get the attention of one of you and you can go to them rather than them wandering into you. 
Okay, cool, yeah. Uh, actually, on the, on the note of the drone as well, one thing I was super impressed, it just so happened, I think it was probably the windiest day that month we just happened to be doing the filming, and the drone, when it was filming the person, it was proper windy, but that Mavic Pro, it was working so hard, but the footage was just silky smooth. I mean, it was just... Just fabulous, really fabulous bit of kit. They're absolutely incredible machines. And um, as you'll have probably seen on some of my videos, I'm lucky, my back garden basically opens out onto farmland, western facing farmland. So your back garden is rural Essex, the size of your garden. Not quite. Uh, we're just under <laughs> an acre. But it is handy having this nice flat field next to me. And um, yeah, I have done. Uh, high wind tests on the Mavic Air, the Mavic Pro and the Mavic 2 Pro uh, because it's really interesting to see how they actually handle it and I you know I actually found one of the biggest differences between the Mavic Pro and the Mavic Air and the Mavic 2 Pro in how it actually handles uh, very strong winds and in no way trying to shift the blame of my mistakes over Dover it explains why the Mavic Pro uh, slowed down to a grinding halt when it was trying to fly back to me into the very strong wind. Whereas if I had been flying a Mavic Air, it would have shot straight back without any issues. Because, um, as I said, they, they actually handle uh, strong wind in, in different ways. In a nutshell, the Mavic Pro uh, limits its speed so that it can keep the collision avoidance uh, sensors working. Whereas the Mavic Air and the Mavic 2 Pro go you know what, it's too windy, I'm going to turn off those sensors and I'm going to go into a real steep flight and get to where you want me to get to. And that difference makes all the difference, which is why on a couple of my wind comparison tests, you see the Mavic Pro slowing down to five miles an hour when it's going into a strong headwind, uh, whereas the Mavic Air scoots along at uh, 30 miles an hour without any issues. So, you know, it's good fun to be able to practice out of a back garden and onto the farmland because uh, you can do that and uh, you know sometimes like you said you would do you you'd gone to barry you obviously had a, a guy you you've got a lot of crew around you, you you need to know whether or not it's safe to shoot this video and uh, i mean on a less important scale when i was over in iceland we had one trip down to a specific beach the black sand beaches and the wind was raging. And, you know, my mate said, well, there's no way you can fly your drone. And I said, well, actually, there is. Because even though it's a very strong wind, I know that the drone will cope. And B, it's an onshore wind. So even if, it, if I can fly out over the sea, I know it's going to come back without any issues. So it's quite nice to have that confidence in, in knowing how, how your drone is going to handle and, uh, and cope in these different uh, elements. You, you've actually reminded one thing I wanted to ask you about there because I've thought when I've been doing some traveling when I've been going abroad I've wanted to in the past I've thought I could I'd love to take my drone with me but I don't know what the regulations are when it comes to the batteries I guess more than anything is there is there a kind of is there a kind of I don't know thing that you do with your drone when you are traveling abroad let's say obviously you're going to Iceland you're going to be going on a plane do you have a special box for it bags anything what what can you tell us about that so, um, yes, I actually ended up, again, uh, looking into this and, and making a little uh, video on, uh, on taking your drones on planes. Uh, generally, it's far less complex than, uh, than, than most people think. Uh, I actually just leave all my drone batteries in my drone bag 
The only thing you do is disconnect the battery from the drone itself. Um, some people say, oh no, you've got to have these special bags, you've got to have everything. That. I don't bother with that at all. Uh, you'll find most airport x-ray operators have seen it all before. And uh, the, the main rule is that you don't put it in your suitcase. You carry it on the uh, on, on your hand luggage and have it in the cabin with you. Uh, other than that, you really don't have to uh, go. You don't have to worry too much about the, um, the unless you've got one of these very very large industrial drones with uh, well professional drones with very large batteries. But um, certainly the Mavics and the Phantoms, there's uh, even the Inspires. No, you can take them on your plane uh, and the batteries as well without any issues whatsoever. Those I did see the videos on those Inspires. They are something else, aren't they? They're, they're, they're monsters. But, um, you know, for proper video production, they are fantastic because you have one pilot to fly the drone and the other pilot is controlling the camera. And that is the fundamental issue most you know, most drone flyers have. You've got to fly the drone in the right position. You've got to angle the gimbal and the camera in the right direction and control the recording and, and settings and the like. It, it, it's a lot for one person to be taking on. And that's why, you know, the bigger drones like the Inspires are so good. Cool. All right. Well, I'll tell you one thing while I'll ask you then. This is something that comes in every episode. And I, I kind of gave you a heads up about it. We may have actually covered it already, or one part of it, but we'll just see what comes to you, comes into your head. And we call this one loves and loathes, all right? So if you look at what you do with your drones, the whole world of right. droning, I don't know if that's the right phrase to use there, but you know what I mean. What's the first thing that comes into your head saying, I love this? Uh, the perspective, the view you get. Uh, I hadn't actually thought, because the moment you drop that hint, we've been talking nonstop, and I hadn't had a chance to think about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I can say without any hesitation, the view from above is everything for me. You think you know what uh, somewhere looks like, whether or not it's gardens, buildings, uh, any landscape, but from above, I just think it looks amazing. And that's what I absolutely love. All right. So, and again, this, this could be the thing that you've maybe already answered. But if you were to think about something that you don't like about it, or or maybe putting it a different way, that you wish you could change about it, what would that be? Uh, well, leaving aside the idea of um, hour-long batteries that would, would, wouldn't need recharging, uh, <laughs> yeah. the real thing I, I, I truly despise are the uh, pointless regulations. And I stress the word pointless there. You know, um, we don't ban cars because of a few idiot drivers. We don't reduce speed limits down to 20 miles an hour on all roads because of speeders um yes you know there is a potential for things to go wrong but so far actually despite all the hysteria in the press nothing has actually happened and i'm not in any way trying to tempt fate there i'm merely you know my degree in physics is coming in there uh it's it's basically extremely unlikely that uh, anything bad is going to happen as long as the main rules are followed. And to my mind, many of the rules and regulations that are applied in different countries are hopelessly over the top and achieving nothing. Um, and, and yeah, that would easily be what I loathe. Yeah, I mean, would you, would you say it almost seems now that there was, like I said, about 18 months, two years ago, there was that mass 
hysteria when when drones were first brought out and everybody was getting a drone and everything you saw on social media was somebody posting drone footage or whatever that does seem to have calmed down a bit now and maybe now it looks to me like it's almost like the diehards the ones who are kind of serious about it are the ones that are still there would you say that seems to be the same for you now i i wouldn't actually to be honest glenn i think uh, it just kind of depends on your um the world you live in and what's important to you and what you happen to be looking at online. Certainly from my perspective, running a drone YouTube channel uh, and obviously keeping abreast of uh, you know what's going on in the world, no, the numbers of uh, people buying drones is just exponentially going up and up and up. Wow. Um, I think... The the uh, I think the number of people that were posting drone footage online is such that a lot of people actually aren't bothering to do that anymore. I remember seeing a video by uh, Casey Neistat once, and uh, he actually used the word "No one wants to see your stupid drone footage from wherever it is that you've shot it," and that's actually fundamentally true. Uh, much to my disappointment, you know, sometimes I shoot these incredible uh, scenic videos and I know that I'm shooting them for me, not anybody else. And you've only got to look on my YouTube channel and some of these, like the Iceland ones or the ones I did in the mm. USA, just the, yeah. they're the poorest, with regards to views, they're the poorest performing uh, videos. But it's to me, it's not all about numbers of views. It's about putting stuff out that you enjoy making but fundamentally most people have seen drone footage so whether or not there's less of it being put out there i don't know but as far as ownership numbers no it's it's going up and up and up and up and up maybe maybe it is because i've come away from that kind of world now maybe that could be why i'm not noticing it then like yeah. you said i don't want to obviously keep you too long in but one thing i am really interested in is looking at where you are now I you should use the word hobby. Obviously, it is sort of becoming more than that, I would suggest. Have you thought about what you want to be doing with it in the future? Or is it just going to continue to kind of just develop what you're doing and with no necessarily kind of a goal as such? I genuinely love what I do as a hobby. And the YouTube is fun. Uh, more and more, I'm finding work getting in the way of my life. And I'm thinking, you know, well, uh, you know, how, how dare it? But um, I, I genuinely, you know, think, uh, well, if, if I mean, you do get some YouTubers that bite the bullet and go full time. Well, I'm not sure there's that much you can actually talk about drones, to be honest. And you, you can see how some channels, they're like chugging out stuff. And it's like, really, you know, but again, YouTube has is, is got some brutal algorithms, you know, and if you don't pump out a video every week or every two weeks, then it starts slating you in other areas. And uh, as you'd know, the majority of views are generated by YouTube suggested videos. And if you're not putting out regular videos, YouTube stops suggesting your videos and uh, it all goes uh, goes wrong. But um, certainly in the uh, in the near near term, I mean, I say, in the next two to three years, I would hope that um, I could look at going part-time with work, uh, more probably because my mortgage might be uh, cleared by then and I won't need to work full-time. Oh, you know. show off. We just... <laughs> Hang on, I've been working hard at paying it for the last 25 <laughs> years, so I think I'm allowed to uh, <laughs> show that one off. But, um, 
Yeah, you know, that, that's the joy of having dogs instead of kids as well. You find life's a lot oh, cheaper. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but no, to be honest, Glenn, I, um, I, do, I do like making the YouTube videos. I like the tutorials. I have got so many ideas for videos and I just don't have the time to make them and I certainly don't have the time to edit them which uh, really does always drive you mad. You know how, um, how long it takes to edit these things. And, um, but I'm certainly not bored of it. Well, we will, um, we will make sure that there's links to all sorts of stuff uh, for your channel on, uh, on this, you know, the description of this actual uh, episode. But just, just so people, Thank for you. people who don't know who you are and what your channel is that we keep talking about, where where is it that you want people to go to find your videos that you do all about the drones and the t tutorials and stuff like that? Well, I try to keep it simple. Uh, even though I don't live in London now, I work in London and uh, everyone's heard of London. So um, you can literally go to ianinlondon.com where you'll find a whole host of uh, droney sort of stuff. There's videos, there's pictures, and there's also a lot of useful stuff if you're just starting out with a drone. And obviously the other way on YouTube, just do a search for Ian in London and I think I come up at top of the list. So it's not hard. My name's Ian and, uh, well, I, I, I'm in London. Uh, that's all you need to remember. <laughs> Fantastic. Listen, mate, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure finally getting to chat to you without it being Finally typing. to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Ian, thank you so much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. And uh, I have been following what you're doing with the um, with the uh, three nine four five project that uh, you've got going. And uh, obviously, what I said to you the other day uh, struck a bit of a chord. Uh, you know, I think it's amazing what you're doing, and you see all these happy faces. Obviously, I'm following you on Instagram, and I'm seeing all these uh, people who um, you know did so much for us, and you can see the genuine, genuine joy in their faces. And I just think you're absolute star so good on you mate that's very and kind it, it's you, great to you finally very, very talk much. to you in person okay then, mate well you take it easy and um we'll be in touch soon and uh why don't you just uh, turn around and put your batteries on charge <laughs> i'll do you know that what i'm saying there don't you i do know what put you're your batteries saying, on charge undust it and get it out and have a bit of fun with it again i'm gonna go down to the white cliffs of dover that's where i'm going no all right mate you take it easy all the very best speak to you soon